Stories within stories. Meanings that point upwards. The gospel behind the games. We're Josh and Brandon, and this is Crossover Collab, New Game Plus. are adapting it still keeping people safe you know and are providing good quality like content and education for people still i think it's they're doing a good job you know yeah absolutely and are the guys that you're living with are they also on the course or are Indeed, they doing they are they are yeah, uh-huh. we're all <laughs> <here>. beautiful <laughs> i was going to say how much do you talk about music and film Oh, all the time, man. All the time. Uh, <laughs> well, if we're not talking about music and film, we're talking about films. Like um, yesterday afternoon, I was just just on the couch chilling. Um, me and my flatmate taking it in turns playing Battlefront Two on the PS4, mm-hmm. and just <laughs> spent the whole afternoon complaining about uh, the sequels. <laughs> Once oh, you yes. start, you can't stop. It's Fair like enough. the it, once you start like picking little holes, you just can keep going for the whole day. Oh yeah, hundred percent. What what are some of the complaints? I'm curious. Well, I mean, for me personally, it's it's a lot of like design choices that AAA games make as a whole, rather than anything that that particular game's done wrong. Um, there's a huge emphasis these days of making these hyper-realistic graphics, making it look as close to the actual thing as possible. And then they just clutter the screen with all these like symbols of where you need to go and what you need to do and where the objective is. And they, they can use the level design as a way of getting you to do those things. So like an easy example, the, the Hoth battle, um, it's like a fairly simple mission where the stormtroopers are trying to get the AT-80s to the rebel base and the rebels are trying to stop them. Um, and the whole time you've got these indicators, whatever side you're on, telling you where the next objective is and to go there. Whereas, like, so if, <laughs> if you're the rebels, uh, first off you start in the base, so you know that anywhere outside of the base is where the bad guys are going to be. So that's not too hard to figure out. And the AT-80s, you've seen Star Wars, you know how massive they are. Yeah, Um, definitely. You can't miss them, right? And there's still an indicator on them saying, oh, by the way, you need to take out these AT-80s. So it's a bit like some of the design can be really insulting to player intelligence, I feel. And to the point where it just makes it seem really uninspired. Like the people who made the maps, it just... That's true. Do you well, know what, we've I, had a team that's just worked so hard on it. Like you can tell they've put loads of work into it. I don't think from a design aspect, they gave a lot of thought about how to make it feel like Star Wars. They just thought about how to make it look true. like Star Wars. That's actually very true. I think there's um it must be a hard balance for these creators to be like, okay, we don't want to make it too difficult for the people who are gonna complain to be like, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> But at the same time, like, don't do the thinking for them. Like, we're still mm, 
exactly. pretty intelligent. We know what we're doing. I think, um, oh, what you call it? Jedi Fallen Order. I've only played a little bit of it. And I think that nails it on the head in terms of the balance. It's actually quite yeah. a difficult game, particularly for like a Star Wars game. It's, I mean, I've heard it compared to, um, what you call it, Dark Souls and like the Bloodborne. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and do you know what I completely see? Even though I haven't actually played Dark Souls, I've watched a, a few clips of it, and it really does seem quite comparable. And definitely, def- it can it can give you the objective, but you don't necessarily have to um, just bring it up on, say, like a hood. You know, you can you can actually just follow the way that the map suggests where you go to. Yeah, another, yeah. Another game that does that beautifully. That I don't have possession of yet, and I am praying for it for Christmas or something like that. Um, it's Ghost of Tsushima. Oh yeah, I've heard a lot about that. Oh yeah. man, it looks stunning, and I still haven't been able to afford it yet, out of like extra money and whatnot. But honestly, it looks so beautiful. The demos and people playing them, it just looks gorgeous, and it uses like nature and like say uh, the wind will blow in the general direction that you're meant to go or You'll nice. see like fox, and you follow the fox. Like the clever mm. ways of being like, okay, this is where you need to go, but you feel like you're still being independent. You're still choosing where you Definitely. can go, that direction. Oh, it's just so beautifully done. And yeah, so, um, there's actually uh, it's it's a design principle that's existed for years. The um, the developers of Crash Bandicoot. Uh, came up with this idea of uh, what they called the squint test, which mm. is um, because the levels are very linear in Crash Bandicoot, the main thing you want is for the player to know where to go next and for it to be as clear as possible what the objective is because you're not testing their, abil- their ability to like find a route. You're testing their ability to go down that said route and mm. like jump at the right time and dodge obstacles and that kind of thing. So... What they do when they make a level is when they play through it, they squint their eyes, and if the brightest path isn't the way forward, then they have to change the way things look so that it's more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's something just as simple as you can be like running through a forest and it's there's a road that's a little bit lighter than the dark foliage surrounding it, and you know that that's the right way to go. Something as simple as that um, can actually help orient a player. So as you say, it's these little subtle things. Uh, Uncharted does it as well, where they have like birds flying out of a window or slight um, highlights on climbable surfaces and that sort of thing. It's just, you know, you don't need to have an arrow or a pointer or a marker or a mini-map to get around. Like there's a lot – that's actually – how to test if a game's got a good map and good level design is if you switch the hood off, can you still get to where you're meant to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And oh, I, I actually really respect all of these designers that can actually do this stuff. Like now that you brought up Uncharted, in Uncharted 4, there's a wonderful section where you're driving down this like hill and it looks so big and ambiguous and you don't know where you're going but Mm. somehow you figure out a way to get to your objective i still can't explain how but it's like it's just almost subconsciously you're being directed towards it same as um i think portal does this a little bit as well 
thinking about it. Um, again, that's got more of a, a linear, straightforward, like you go to this level, you go to this place. But again, that doesn't give you any indication. Half-Life, both made oh, by yeah. Valve. Yeah, like they obviously clearly demonstrate where you need to go as well. And it's just all the subtle hints. And again, it's mm-hmm. looking at things in context and <laughs> diving into what we usually do. I think actually the Bible does this pretty well as well. Um, thinking about it, because I think we, I think too often we expect everything to be handed to us on a silver platter. And I think a lot of stuff that we approach in life, in what we read, in what we play, and how we watch, we need to pick up on these subtle little hints, these subtle ways of um, directing us in the right direction. We don't always Absolutely. need to be handed a. Uh, you know, one-on-one guys, this is how it's going to be, you know. If we want to be treated with respect, then we've got to accept our responsibility to be, okay, well, surely I can figure out with what I've been supplied with what direction this is going into, what am I going to get out of this? And, um, yeah, I think that's a very, very clear um, indicator and a way to, to look at things. So. Well, because that's that's the thing, I suppose, with, with like um, looking at that level design idea that like the designers, their whole job is to make sure that the experience that they want the player to have can be achieved by the player just playing through the game and doing what the player wants to do um, and that that will create a fun experience. So, yeah, they, they don't tell the player where to go the best games they don't tell the player what to do they just show the player the scenario and because it's been designed in a clear enough way the player is able to figure out what they're meant to do just from context clues or the environment around them or story points that have happened previously um and i think it's it's good that stuff like that exists and as you mentioned with the bible as well like it, it really is like one of those things where it's written in such a way you can't just like Take there's not one yeah there's not one intended uh, interpretation it's not just like this is the meaning of this bit obviously there's an overarching narrative and I think that's what we use to understand the individual parts we go well how does it fit into the bigger story but there, there is nothing in there that's saying like, you know, how, yeah, <laughs> like one, one specific. Yeah, it got completely. I mean, actually, I listened to a podcast with, um, it was a Bio Project podcast, and it, it was from earlier this year, and there was a Q&A about law. And basically, Tim Mackey was talking about how, the law in itself, the Old Testament law, where there's like 600 odd different bits of law, it'll be, it's surprising how it's not actually completely solidified in time, which yeah. can seem quite controversial because obviously we use the great expression of Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And while that is 100% true, but what the Pharisees spent so long trying to do was trying to perfect this law. And so... Yeah you'll find that quite often things would, um, little parts of the law would contradict and change for our time because it really depended on the time, um, I believe. And I probably need to do more research into this, but I think um, originally when Moses was given a law, there was one request where it was like, don't boil 
the lamb, I believe, uh, the meat that you're eating, don't boil it. And then later on <laughs> in his life, he instructs the Israelites to boil the uh, the lamb. So uh, it, uh, it's that little subtle difference of like, okay, so there are little differences in the law. And this is what the Pharisees spent so long trying to do. They tried to, to absolutely perfect and try to find more of the reasoning behind it. And what Tim Mackey kind of explained was um, when Jesus taught, particularly on the Sermon of the Mount, he actually teaches things that are completely rooted in the law, but you'll find uh, ever subtle differences because what Jesus tries to do, he tries to get to the root of of sin or he tries to get to the root of a certain law. Yeah. Um, the simple thing is, I think it was when he's talking about, yeah, don't commit adultery. Like, obviously, don't just don't do that. But he wanted to get to the root of it, saying, actually, if you're staring and you're lusting for someone, that's already technically adultery. You're objectifying that person. Yeah. You're removing their humanity, and that can lead you towards committing the physical act of adultery, which, of course, has its own awful um, consequences as well. So I think... There's this really interesting way of looking at things face value and then looking at it at a bit more richly to see the underlying um, message and underlying tone of, okay, these are the main attributes of, say, the law. These are the main attributes of sin. And, yeah, there can be subtle interpretations and differences of them. But as you indicated, in terms of the whole structure of the biblical narrative, of, of the structure of a story, the meaning is still pretty much the same. And, yeah. Yeah. and you know, and again, it's how we look at it that we can still identify that meaning, but we can understand it a lot more clearly and how it applies and how it adapts. Um, the more that we look into it and more that we find the original context. I think as well, um, we, we do live in a time, I, th- I think it's always been a part of human nature, but the, um, the desire to, immediately understand the point of something mm-hmm. uh, and it's something that's particularly stressed in a lot of the media that we consume um like you think of disney movies right um especially the classic ones it's very obvious what they're about and what the moral of the story is and w- we've even come to expect like the exact point in the story where the moral is revealed to us yeah um and uh it's it's my uh my bugbear in dialogue is when when a character says the moral of the story out loud and um, i've done it myself in my own writing where i've had a character say it and i've been like why did i do that it's too obvious but um i think a part of it is from the storyteller's perspective of feeling like what they're saying isn't going to be understood so they just spell it out but then on the other side, you've got the audience just as guilty in some cases where they expect that everything's going to be explained for them without having to figure anything out. Um, so I, I think, you know, when it comes to the Bible, I've, it's not as simple as just, you know, the Bible tells us uh, what the moral of every story in it is. The, there are some events that occur in the Bible that just straight up don't really have a clear explanation as to why. Oh, no. Um, not at least when you look at it as an individual event. Um, yeah. It's hard. But again, I think it's it's one of those things, because of it being mostly a record of human history, it's complicated and it's chaotic, and 
there are things that don't make sense because in life we don't get those like neat stories that we want to see uh, that we see so much in our favorite films and books and all of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, despite all of that chaos overall, it forms a whole narrative that does have a beginning, a middle and an end, and it, it does resolve itself. And if it we does. actually take that initiative ourselves to just look at the wider context, we can get a glimpse of it. Yeah, that's it. It's, just extending from that, we take things way to a face value. I don't think we're, particularly we as a culture, I don't think we invest ourselves enough into things. I think there's hustle culture, which is like, okay, if you just literally spend all your time on something, then you'll get somewhere. But I don't think it's just about time. I think it's about the level of investment that you're looking at something. And, Definitely. you know, what I've really noticed, and I've started writing about this, and it's just been such a clear eye-opener, is if we look at our personal relationships, like if, if we look at marriage, for instance, particularly the biblical view of marriage, is it is a full investment into another person. Mm. You know, you marry the good bits, the bad bits. You marry the bits that you don't understand, but you still invest your time into it. You invest your love into that person. Yeah. And there's a theme of marriage between God and Israel as well. So obviously this is a very strong theme that occurs throughout the entire biblical narrative and how actually we should be looking at God and the word because God refers to the word as himself as well. We should yeah. be accepting that almost as a, a bride um, or obviously a, a groom, depending on, on the gender, but we should be looking at as, as another partner and, accepting what we consider first to be flaws but actually we start yeah, to realize yeah. we think they're flaws at first because we don't understand it we don't get the full context around it like saying my wife isabel there's certain things that she does that can actually tick me off but after living with her for a long time i start to understand the reasoning behind it and it doesn't fuss me as much i understand it and some things are still annoying <laughs> but like <laughs> You know, that's part of it. We're, we're still different people and we, we're not going to always see eye to eye. But there's this lovely, I think it's a lovely way of looking at scripture where you're like, okay, I don't understand this bit and it's not fully making sense to me right now. But actually, let's continue to read on, look into it. There's, I mean, there's the whole, what do you call it? Um, there's a method of hermeneutics where you're, you're essentially, you're not only looking at, the very original context of the text that you're looking at right now, but also how does it compare to the rest of the Bible? How does it compare to the the text in the future of that text and then the text mm. in the past of that text? And I just said text a lot of times. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's taken it all as a whole story, a unified story. Um, and I think it's really important to almost personify the book and the story to really see its richness and to invest in it, which I don't mm. think people do now. I think that just, again, people just want quick, easy things. And even people in the church want it nowadays, you know, like too yeah. many people and don't get me wrong. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. And I think we all, we all do it. And it is definitely a, an element of comfort, but flipping open uh, the book of Psalms and picking out your favorite. It's like, 
it's they're beautiful by themselves, but I think there's just something really lacking when we do that. And yes, mm. it's going to take way more time to fully read it and to get that context. But when you don't understand the full context behind it, you're losing that richness of why it was created. And yeah, it's, absolutely. And actually referencing back to the level designers and games, you know, it's you've got that richness, that world built for you. But then it's like that HUD system where it's like, it's like, yeah, this is put in place to make things easier for the person that's analyzing it. But it's just, it doesn't give the same level of richness that it was yeah. intended to be, you know? And so I think we're missing out on that a lot when we are looking at scripture. Both people who are first first hand looking at it, like they literally open the Bible for the first time and read something out of context, or people who have been invested into the church and reading the Bible for, I don't know, 20 years. They can still look at it this way. And it's just taking a subtle difference, that subtle, um, slightly different approach to just approach it a bit more wholeheartedly and fully. And it's flipping hard, but we have that responsibility, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's definitely something I've fallen prey to and I've been thinking about it as well recently. Um, just to, like there's been some music I've been working on the past couple of days. Um, and when I was thinking about like kind of what the music was about, it's just instrumental stuff, but it seemed to be, I felt it was um, kind of a musical way of expressing a lot of the conflict I've been through this year, being away from church because of it, obviously moving online. Um, and just thinking about like where my faith was last year, I, I have this kind of, I always think that my faith was stronger in the past than it is now. And it's never, that's never been true. Um, because I think it's just that the, the way that I've valued my faith or what I see as being faith, um, hasn't been like true faith, if that makes sense. Yeah, so exactly. Go fast forward back, fast forward, reverse it, rewind, rewind. That's the word. Rewind a year. And I'm like, you know, going to church every Sunday and I'm, you know, doing talks at youth group and I'm occasionally being invited to preach and stuff like that. And this is from people who see me in church and go, oh, he knows his Bible. He's well read. He's well spoken. And he says he loves God. He puts his hands up in worship every now and again when he doesn't feel like anyone's watching. Um, he, he must have a really good close connection to God. And then my friends at school, I'm talking to them about faith all the time because I want them to believe what I believe and discussing these really heavy topics with them and answering questions that they have. And all of that to people outside of me, they would see that as the, the sign of someone who's got a really strong faith. But I'll be honest, I've never been one of these people who's been devoted behind closed doors. I, um, I very rarely perform any act of worship uh, mm -hmm. when I'm not at church, which means that this year I've basically never really done anything that I would consider to be worship towards God, mm -hmm. which is atrocious when I think about it. Um, I've not spent a lot of time personally studying the Bible, I, I get my verse a day that pops up on my phone 
And I'm oh, like, yeah. right, that's the verse for the day. And it's always just something out of context, which, you know, is selected by the people who run the app because they feel like it's a good encouragement for the day. But they definitely don't uh, intend for that to be a replacement for actual biblical study. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and every time I think about opening my Bible, it's like, well, I kind of already know what's in it and what it's about. Um, so I just need to really focus on living like the Bible says. But as you say, I'm, I'm cut off from that richness that, that's in there and just relying on this um, this idea that, oh, well, I, I must know what the Bible's about because I've preached about it to, to a bunch of people on stage. I've told people that I've got it all together and that I know what X issue in the Bible is and what it has to say about it. Um, and yeah, that's been actually in the long run really harmful for my faith because I haven't even realized just how much I need to have that personal level of like private devotion to God before bringing any of that into the public. Exactly, man. Do you know what? I 100% can understand your uh, situation because I think I was in a similar place as well. And it sounds weird and almost contradictory to be like you feel more well, no, it makes sense actually in scripture because weirdly, now that I am away from a church as such, um, I do feel more intimate and close with God because I have taken that time to, like, I feel so rich that I have, say, commentaries on my shelves and I'm always, you know, diving into different kinds of theology and even like neo-Christian fiction and whatnot like just behind closed doors, which obviously Jesus says, go behind closed doors and pray to me. You know, that's way more intimate. And I, yeah. I think the reason that has become much more intimate, as also demonstrated by Jesus still taking time to have solitude with God, even after he's had really big moments with big crowds, he's always said, okay, I need to go and pray. There's this wonderful thing that we kind of miss. And I think that the church unintentionally and not to say that I've got all the answers, by the way, but I think they unintentionally set up this expectation of what a good Christian is supposed to be. And yeah. I think we, I think we um, are fed into that kind of expectation where we think that the only method of worshiping God is to sing or and to raise our hands and to have the lights and the music. Or we think that going to church every Sunday is, is a committed Christian or... Um, you have to be always talking about scripture and you always have to be talking about God and, you know, even setting up Bible studies and whatnot. Hmm. Yeah, it has this image, but sometimes it can be quite hollow, you know, and it's, yeah. I think because they set up this expectation, but it doesn't always work for the individual. I believe that there is still this sense of us committing to something. But I think when there's that many people around you, you can almost get lost in this mess and this expectation. And I can understand that conflict because you've got people saying that, oh, you're doing such a good job. You're, you're a great kid. You know, you're, you're doing great things. But inside you're feeling, I don't know, there could be more though. That I really could be doing more. Mm. And it's like this re really weird, confusing conflict. And I feel we've lost the sense of, solitude and the sabbath and i think it's something that's really starting to be understood in quarantine um, definitely 
though I don't think it was, well, as far as I know, I don't think it's the actual intention of um, COVID because I think there's a much greater sense of why this is around that we, we can't even fathom. But I think it mm. is one of those beautiful side effects that has come from this where we've we've abstained from this hustle culture. We've abstained from this collective kind of um, pressure to be, okay, let's stay at home. Let's just invest my time into not just studying the Bible for studying it, but just being enriched in the Holy Spirit, being invested into scripture and not just scripture, but art as well. You know, I've suddenly yeah. found myself investing into fiction that I can clearly tell has a lot of biblical themes behind. Speaking of yeah. that, I'm 100 pages into Brave New World that you suggested. Oh, yeah. My goodness, what a fantastic book. Yeah, and, you know, even from reading something like that, you know, you start to see um, God's word and you start to see a lot of his natural word, his natural word, his attributes coming through. Um, us people who are image bearers, although we may be broken, we can still see his um, intention and his love and his character running through us. And mm. so um, it is difficult, but I think there's an absolute blessing and beauty to kind of stepping away from the church a bit and having these moments of fellowship that me and you are also doing. You know, I think it's beautiful to have these friendships and these brother and sisterhoods where we can talk about theology where we can share ideas but it doesn't have to um excuse my phone <laughs> it doesn't have to be um all about raising our hands and singing it doesn't have to be about showing up to church which is a very bad idea at, at the time um <laughs> you know and it doesn't always have to be about having that bible open and just reading it although yes they can be important elements I found that me just investing my head into books that are even about scripture is being enriching and is my form of worship. And I think once we find that and once we find that maybe our fellowship is not just about going to the building, but say having conversations like this are actually very enriching. And I think we need to break down these stereotypes that have been set up about what a good Christian is and to accept that actually we're broken, fallen people we are making it work as long as we are putting our effort into it, as long as we are investing time and love into it, then we are slowly on the right road. And yeah, it's going to take time. It's going to take commitment like it would a marriage as I've kind of used yeah. as a reference before. But, you know, it it's just a long, hard journey and it's not easy and people need to understand that as well. So I, I 100% feel your situation, man. And no, I think it's it's going to get there for all of us who are kind of struggling with this at the moment. Mm, definitely.